seem to be much Republicans and Democrats can agree on these days, and votes on Capitol Hill only seem to be getting increasingly partisan. So when something comes along that has folks on both sides of the aisle shaking hands, so to speak, it's worth paying attention to. On today's episode of The Fiona Show R&D Tax Credit, we're going to take a look at an increasingly rare phenomenon, a political issue pretty much everyone can agree on, incentives to increase U.S.-based research and development. To help us discuss the pleasantly surprising bipartisan agreement on R&D tax credits is manager of R&D tax credit at Cross Border Solutions, Lydia Clowney. Welcome and thank you so much for being on the show again, Lydia. Hi, Matt. Thanks so much for having me. So uh, starting off, we're seeing more agreement between the two major parties here in the U.S. over R&D investment. Let's start with a high level view here. Uh, Why is R&D a potential meeting place for otherwise opposing political ideologies? It is interesting that it seems like folks tend to agree on this one. Yeah, especially right now in the current environment. And and I'd say it speaks to the the fact that the R&D credit really has something for everyone. You know, I don't know that the Republican Party has ever seen a tax cut that they didn't like. I probably got Grover Norquist to thank for that. But they're pretty much happy anytime they see taxes going down. And the R&D credit in particular, it is a way to incentivize some of this work for private companies to be doing And that, again, is another thing that the Republican Party tends to want to advantage private business. Now, on the other hand, you say, well, why are our Democrats, we might think of as being less likely to get on board with a tax cut? Why are they seeing the R&D tax credit as being a favorable piece of, of policy for them, too? And I think that that speaks to the idea that Democrats have that this is in some ways a jobs program. It's an activities based credit. And it's not just about buying machinery, although that can be a part of it. I also have somebody somebody has to be working with the machinery or actually performing the activity of experimentation in order to get the credit. And so that means that you actually have to have humans involved. And so Democrats tend to look at this as being a way to keep these high paying highly skilled jobs within the United States. You know, they're looking at it as good policy as well. And I think maybe maybe what I would say, too, as being one of the reasons why this is currently bipartisan is that it's been a little bit overlooked. Uh, we don't necessarily have the same attention on it as we do on certain other issues that might have similar reasons for being attractive to both parties. But because this hasn't been overly politicized yet, it means that both parties really can look at it as being a positive and can tell that story to their constituents. Of course. So Democrats and Republicans agree on the value of the R&D tax credit, but President Biden has his own take on how best to proceed, of course. Uh, What has President Biden proposed when it comes to R&D and why are Republicans reluctant to sign on to his plan? Is it pure partisanship that prevents them from agreeing to it? Well, overall, President Biden is looking to to raise corporate taxes or raising corporate taxes is on the table in a way that it wasn't before when we had a Republican president. So Biden did campaign on a promise to raise corporate income tax rates. Currently, the rate is at 21 percent and Biden campaign on raising it to 28% and also raising some minimum tax rates, including on foreign derived income, which we'll talk about a little bit later, especially intangible income, and also closing some loopholes. So 
it proposed to raise the minimum tax on corporations on book income as well, which was really interesting. I don't know that I'd ever heard this floated as a possibility before, but it would essentially cut down on the ability of companies to speak out of both sides of their mouths. So within tax, we have a concept of taxable income, but that's not what's reported to shareholders. So if you think about a, a publicly traded company's financial statements, we call it a, a 10K, comes out every year. And that's what companies use to report to the public and to their shareholders and other stakeholders what their income and expenses have been. And you can come into a situation where you have a company that is reporting to their shareholders that they have great income, they're super profitable, everything's really shiny on the horizon. But then on the other side, they'll go to their tax return. They'll use a different set of deductions. There's a different set of rules for, for taxable income and for how we arrive at taxable income when we're looking at the American tax regime. And so even though that company is reporting as being profitable to shareholders, their reporting is being at a net loss to the federal government. So a really good you know, company where everything's kind of working really well can still be in a tax loss situation, not paying any taxes. So this idea was to try to uh, get around that and to say that, well, if you are telling your shareholders you're quite profitable, put your money where your mouth is and pay up to the government. Now, as interesting as that was to, to some of us tax professionals, he has since walked some of that back. So I, I don't think that that's currently something that's in his plans, but I do think it speaks to the idea that he's trying to uh, increase taxation overall, but importantly, keep those mechanisms for encouraging various kinds of behavior through really targeted tax incentives like the R&D tax credit. So if you have companies that have to pay tax that are going to be looking for ways to reduce that tax they have to pay, and what they're left with is some of these credits like the R&D credit, which asks them to put their activities in certain places that we want to incentivize because we believe it will help the economy. Of course. I'm almost personally reminded of a comedian in this approach now that we've seen it a couple of times since he took office where by he, you know, floats a larger, perhaps less palatable idea and then walks it back. We've seen that a few times here elsewhere. If you think about retail, I mean, we have a high list price for the new automatic dishwasher, but then we'll have a sale, right? And maybe we never intended to sell many dishwashers at that higher price first. But yeah, that's a concept. Even just we say nothing's eaten as hot as it's cooked. So yeah, you'll sometimes when we're in the talking phase, you'll see the rhetoric be one way, and that might not actually be the way that it all shakes out in the end. So, you know, that's kind of one of the reasons why I said that maybe one of the reasons it's more bipartisan at this point is because we've talked about it less. And I, I almost want to say, like, I'm knocking on wood and, and holding off the devils here, because the more we talk about it, the more I worry that we will get into a situation where it becomes a bargaining chip for yeah. one party or the other. And then instead of talking about what makes good policy sense, we're, we're talking about something else, you know? Yeah. Especially in today's media. I mean, just gripping with the fact that he is, of course, between two extremes. He is a left centrist. It's a good strategy to float an idea, float any kind of vague extremity he wants, and then just see how that's at least received by both sides he ends up having to negotiate with. But I, I think we're going to see a lot more of it, of course, as we get into later in his first term. Recently, semiconductors have been at the center of much of this bipartisan agreement. What's the latest happening with semiconductors in regards to U.S. R&D? 
Semiconductors is kind of a touchy subject right now. It's part yeah. of virtually every aspect of our lives. And, you know, particularly during the pandemic, when we all ended up working from home, working on various devices, we kind of needed more and more and more. You know, we're not all going into the office and using our, our workplaces technology, you know, those of us in white collar jobs. And certainly there were, you know, other things going on, just a need to spur some automation and things as, as people had to be distanced and things like that. So I think a lot of things kind of converged here. We did have a shortage during the year, which had a huge impact on automotive production. I mean, GM alone had to close something like four plants. Traditionally, we've been pretty strong. The U.S., I should say, has been a pretty strong position in terms of you know, being a producer of, of semiconductors and, and access to the market. Certainly, we don't want to lose that. Something that the Senate actually did manage to pass in a decently bipartisan manner, 68 to 32, was the U.S. Innovation and Competition Act. So that's a, a decently large bill, $52 billion, 30% funding boost for the National Science Foundation. And there's also $29 billion to, to set up a, a directorate that focuses on applied sciences. And then another $10 billion to transform American cities into technology hubs. So Biden also, President Biden also signed an executive order that calls for a 100-day government review of semiconductor production efforts in the U.S., but I do want to shout out Senator Debbie Stabenow, my senator from Michigan here. She had created some of the elements of this bill, has been talking about it for years, and it passed on my birthday, June 14th. So, <laughs> Congratulations. <laughs> indeed, indeed. Hi, I'm Matthew DeMello, and you may know me as the host of the Fiona Show Cross-Border Solutions Weekly Transfer Pricing Podcast. And while I love to discuss transfer pricing, this podcast isn't the only place you can hear me doing it. Cross-Border Solutions recently relaunched Transfer Pricing University, a live webinar series where you can learn about modern-day transfer pricing, everything from methodologies to comparables to preparing documentation to meet country-specific regulations. Good stuff, I know. Chief Economist Mimi Song leads the sessions. I just ask the occasional obvious question. Since our program is NASBA certified, you can earn one CPE credit for joining each session. Pretty sweet. So what are you waiting for? Join us for Transfer Pricing University Weekly. Classes are free, so now you really have no reason to miss it. Sign up at xbs.ai slash tpu. And Lydia, people often say that R&D work can help the economy, and that is part of the reason, as you've mentioned, why there's so much bipartisan support for it. Can you speak to some of the ways in which the R&D tax credit can positively affect the economy? Sure. Yeah. I mean, the R&D credit is something that we want to incentivize because we do think that it helps the economy. So there is that direct support for the companies that are doing this activity. I mean, a, a tax credit, a dollar for dollar reduction in tax liability is it's one of the most valuable benefits that we have written into our United States tax code. So when a company is doing this kind of work over the year and they come to the end of the year and they're paying those taxes, they, they get to pay less which frees up money to maybe hire another engineer or to invest, reinvest in some of their business. And we see that there's a multiplier effect. When we spend money on a tax credit, it produces more activity and, and more, more commercial activity than just that dollar. So we also see when a, a company gets to save money like this, maybe they hire that person, that extra person, that person's gonna go out, they might buy a new car or something. 
or they have to, if they're doing more activity, they have to buy more from their suppliers. They might pay a company to produce a software or, or something like that to help them in their efforts. So it does kind of, you see the, the impacts far and away above just that, that one, that, you know, that dollar being credited on that individual company's taxes. And we have data to back it up too. The people who look at this kind of thing, those economists, they looked at the R&D tax credit. And when the U.S. government puts money towards something like this incentive, it it does produce more gains in the economy at large. So that's, I think, really why I think folks are looking at the data there. Of course. And we were discussing semiconductors before. We should note to our listeners, that's actually going to be a future episode on the Fiona Show R&D tax credit. Into the future, we may consider an, an entire podcast on this next subject, but we'll we'll touch on it for, for right now. Let's talk about the Endless Frontier Act. This is $100 billion to push R&D type investment in an effort to compete with China and would also allocate an additional $10 billion to develop at least 10 new regional tech hubs. Is it fair to say that not only R&D is uniting the parties, but also a competition with China? I think that's fair to say. And while I would never characterize China as an enemy, the, the phrase common enemies making better neighbors, uh, <laughs> can't quite remember how that proverb goes, but anytime that you can unite in opposition towards a third party, I think it makes it more likely for people who might not otherwise see eye to eye to find some commonality. And, and I do think that we see that here. So, you know, China has their Belt and Road Initiative. They've been really pushing hard on that for years now, and we've been seeing the impacts. And I think that folks in the U.S. are are getting a little bit squirrely about it. So we see different parties trying to float more ideas to help the United States retain an advantage in, in science and technology. Recently, there was an updated version of some legislation aimed at modernizing clinical research policies. That one seems extremely topical right now. Yeah. yeah. Another one in that kind of pharma area is the Pasteur Act, which so that's actually about the acronym stands for pioneering antimicrobial subscriptions to end upsurging resistance, which That would be for R&D for new antibiotics, specifically to target antibiotics that are resistant to multiple drugs. That's something where I think we haven't been talking about this recently because of the pandemic, but multiply resistant bacteria is a huge problem, particularly in some of the rest of the world. I think this, for me, this would be my prediction, my extremely negative Cassandra-esque suggestion for what I would see as the next kind of terrible catastrophe to befall us medically. So I'm a little bit heartened by seeing that maybe we're going to be throwing a little bit more money at, at that problem. But then there's also some more billions of dollars that would go to other kinds of research, non-pharma at other institutions. So I think we're at least addressing the issue of having maybe had our foot off the gas pedal for a few years. And and now that we see China kind of in the rearview mirror or maybe a little even in front of us, I I think you're going to see that foot go back on that gas pedal. A global pandemic, a grim economic forecast, feeling the squeeze, an R&D tax credit can help lower your burn. If you qualify, the IRS and some state governments will give you a tax credit equal to 10% of your company's spend on development activities. You can even take the credit against payroll taxes if you're in the red. All you have to do is claim it. 
So what's stopping you? If an expensive application process is turning you off, sorry, now you really have no excuse. Cross-Border Solutions AI-driven R&D tax credit software eliminates the need for pricey consultants and allows you to apply for R&D credits all over the world for one low fee. After all, why should you have to spend your whole R&D tax credit on getting your R&D tax credit? It's your money, keep more of it with Cross-Border Solutions, the global leader in AI-driven tax solutions. Request a demo today, visit xbs.ai rd. That's xbs.ai rd. And of course, one thing both sides seem to agree on is that the amortization provision in the TCJA for R&D expenses is not helpful. It's sort of designed to be that way. It's something of a stopgap measure, of course. Why is it so unpopular with people all over the political spectrum? I think it is unpopular because there was seemingly no good policy reason for it. I think that everyone can basically agree that it existed simply to put a little bit of money back into that bill. It was getting to be very, very expensive. And just to take a step back, what we're talking about again, the amortization of research and experimental expenses under section 174. Historically, these expenses, which are the same, basically, you know, more or less the same expenses that would be used to drive an R&D credit. Historically, they've always been able to be expensed in the year in which they were incurred, which makes sense. It's kind of tracks with how other general business expenses work. Uh, there's always been an option to capitalize and amortize those uh, research and experimental expenditures over a five-year period, but that was on the rarer side. And again, it was an optional election. And what the Tax Cuts and Jobs Act did is it didn't change anything immediately. I think probably they wanted to avoid the political ramifications of having it happen during that administration. So instead, what they did is they pushed it off for five years. And now it's 2022, uh, so not very long. We're going to have to be thinking about it and, and really changing a lot of how we compute things. And when we're talking about changing things, well, then we have higher administrative burdens. Maybe the tax accountants say it's annoying, but... On the other hand, you got to pay them to do the work, so they kind of love it too. But what it means is we're going to have large administrative burdens and folks won't be able to actually deduct those research and experimental expenditures within the year they incurred them. They'll have to capitalize and amortize over a five-year period. And so in some ways, it's, it's a timing difference. You don't lose the deduction. It just gets delayed. But on the other hand, this is a really taxpayer unfavorable situation that we have here. Uh, it means that companies are going to see their taxable income go up. It means that their R&D credits are going to change drastically. I could see a situation where companies try to say, oh, well, you know, I these aren't uh, research and experimental expenditures under Section 174. They're really general business expenses under a different section and just forego the R&D credit at all because they don't want to wait around to receive those expenses. And whether or not that's right or acceptable under the tax code, I'll leave for a different <laughs> different expert and a different conversation. But, but I would expect some folks to, to try it. I mean, if you're investing your money this year, you want to see the reward this year, particularly where we've had this historical expectation that we would be able to do that. So yes, you're right. I would say one of the most bipartisan areas of agreement that I've seen is that this amortization provision is 
just a killer. Of course. And you were mentioning before uh, vaccines. To what extent is the pandemic a factor contributing to this swell of bipartisan support for R&D? I don't know that it is. I Mm. think that we've all been impacted in one way or another. Absolutely. You know, who can say that they haven't seen some change in their life? But the impacts certainly haven't been equal over various people, various groups. We've seen the lower levels of the socioeconomic spectrum be just decimated. People have lost everything. And then we see the extreme high level of the spectrum and they've been raking in the billions. So I'd say if anything, we're almost further apart. They say a rising tide lifts all boats, but you know it seems like when the tide went down, some of those boats are still way over other people's heads. And I think that's tough for people to get through. Well said. Is there more these two parties could do to push R&D investment forward together? I'm going to give you another somewhat pessimistic response there, too. I don't think so. I kind of think things are moving just about as fast as they can. And and part of that is that, you know, I want to knock on wood again, you know, see if we can. I, I don't want to look directly at, <laughs> at the changes that could be made to the credit because I don't want to spook anyone. I think that in this case, it, it might be better for this to go a little bit more quietly. Uh, I think that the possibilities for a bipartisan agreement on the R&D credit are more likely if we see it come up you know, more or less by itself as opposed to package with other legislation. And I think that if it does come packaged with other legislation, it'll end up being a bargaining chip. And so at that point, we're not necessarily talking about what makes good policy sense. We're, we're talking about a whole other level of political maneuvering. And when you get into that kind of chess match, it's really tough to see where the pieces will end up. Indeed, indeed. Lydia, you've brought a lot of nuance to this discussion. I know this can be kind of a minefield, especially in such a diverse media climate as we have, to put it mildly. But thank you so much. This has been really great. Thank you so much for having me. Note to multinational companies everywhere. If you think the coronavirus has affected your bottom line, take a look at how it's devastated the economies of governments around the world. And where do you think tax authorities will look to make up for all that lost revenue? That's right, your transfer pricing. You can't afford to be non-compliant, but then you probably can't afford to pay for an overpriced consultant who bills by the hour either. Oops, sorry, big four. We've got the answer. Cross-border solutions, AI-powered transfer pricing software keeps you in compliance by preparing accurate, hyper-localized reports that protect you from transfer pricing audits, penalties, and adjustments. And our technology is available for one flat fee, a fraction of what you'd pay a big-name consultant. Again, apologies, Big Four. Stay in compliance and on budget with Cross-Border Solutions AI-driven transfer pricing software. It's no wonder we're the global leader in AI-driven tax solutions. There we go again. I'm so sorry, Big... You know what? Wait, who am I kidding? Sign up for a free demo of Cross-Border Solutions Transfer Pricing Technology today at xbs.ai slash tp. That's xbs.ai slash tp. We want to thank Cross-Border Solutions' own Lydia Clowney for joining us for this very informative discussion. If you liked this podcast, you're going to love the other shows in Cross-Border Solutions' tax podcast suite. 
That's the Fiona Show transfer pricing and the Fiona Show tax provision. Subscribe to this podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. That's the Fiona Show R&D tax credit. And we'll keep you up to date on the latest in this beneficial credit every week. I'm your host, Matthew DeMello. Andrew O'Donnell is our audio producer. Stephen Markow is our associate producer. Mary Lynn Mitchumstrom is our executive producer. Thanks for tuning in, everyone. We'll catch you next week. Next week.